Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the shenanigans. It was the early 80s, and sex was still a good way to meet new people. The disappointment. Now that's a real shame when folks be throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that. And the self-confidence. I'm six foot, three inches tall, and maintain a very consistent panda bear shape. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey there, 80s family. Welcome to the podcast. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in LA. And today we honor the songs that soared all the way to number two, but got no further in the year 1979. in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our show on the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And as always, if you love our show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Hey everyone, we're at the very tip of the 80s, the fun's about to start, but first we have to tackle the final year of the 1970s and the songs that rose to number two on the Billboard Hot 100, but got no further. Steve, quick hat tip to Chuck Coverley, who sent us this monster spreadsheet low these many months ago, and slowly we extract the soft, chewy center out of it to create a multitude of podcasts for you all to listen to. How many licks does it take to get to the Tootsie Roll center of a Tootsie Pop? Let's find out. One, two, three, three. It'll be 14 by the time we're done, I guess, unless we start combining years. I think we should like go into the mid-90s just to annoy people. Oh, it's going to annoy me, first of all. In the 90s. <laughs> I know. That, that'll be great radio. Oh, my gosh. Can you guys imagine just making Spears talk about spin doctors? And, oh, my gosh. Uh, can't do it. It's, it's like printing money. I will, so good. I will end this show before I do that. Uh, we'll see. I will change the password. You know what? I'll, I'll take a look. I'll take a look at the songs, and if I think that there's some value, you know, if we can get some laughs out of it, I'm, I'm all for it. Maybe April Fool's show. Yeah, that's a good idea. So here's how this is going to work. There are five songs from 1979 that got to number two on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. Make everyone sure that we're just talking about the U.S. charts here. Otherwise, a lot of math is involved, and we're not up for that. American exceptionalism. American exceptionalism. <laughs> so they got to number two and no further. We're going to tell you what those songs were and the songs that kept them out. Uh, when we're done, we'll have some seggies. Maybe there'll be some stories somewhere along the line. I don't know. We don't really script these things. They just kind of they come out of us like a, like a breakfast burrito. Uh, oh, that was totally uncalled for. That was totally uncalled Sorry. for. Sorry, I had one this morning, and it's still in my mind. Uh, you know, it, d- <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> don't worry. This first song will wipe out every memory of everything we've set up until now. Are you ready for it? Oh, Steve, please. <laughs> Bring it. 
Uh, the first song is this one from the Village People. It's fun to stay at the Like the 70s, the grip, it's like, you know, we're so close to the 80s, but we have to get to the village people first. We got one last truck stop we got to hit on the way to the 80s. Right? Yeah, and it's a big one. Uh, YMCA was a song by the village people released in 1978 from their 1978 album Cruisin', but it was released late in the year. So this one didn't chart, it uh, didn't take till number two on the charts until February 3rd of 1979. Now, I did spend a considerable amount of time today learning about the, the history, village people, <laughs> learning about the history of this song, what it's about, what people think it's about, and I'm, I'm going to try to uh, separate fact from fiction here as much as I can. Excellent. So we we all know what a YMCA is, right? I mean, you know what a YMCA is. It's a gym, right? It stands for Young Men's Christian Association, and. And in commonplace vernacular today, it's it's a gym, you know, and it's a gym that men and women can both go to. I mean, they used to have YWCA's and YMCA's, but mm. I I belong to a couple YMCA's, most notably in Jacksonville, Florida. I bet you did. <laughs> Where I, I once got to see uh, our pruny old mayor naked in the steam room. That That's a thought that's worse than the breakfast burrito. But uh, well, we're really we're really climbing the ladder the wrong direction here, boys yeah. and girls. So here's what. But here's the thing. Back in the '70s, Jacques Morali is that how we say his name? The the founder and the producer of the Village People. He didn't know what a YMCA was. I don't know huh. how it's possible, but he did. So With he a asked, name like Jacques, it's possible that he was from France, perhaps, where they don't have the YMCA. Maybe not. That's speculation, hearsay. Oh. All I know is Steve Gutenberg played him in Can't Stop the Music. So, how French is Steve Gutenberg? Anyway, I'm going yeah, to get back to Can't German. Stop the Music. Yeah, he's more German. So, Jacques asks lead singer Victor Willis about it. And Victor says, Oh, you know, at the YMCA, you can, they have what they call SROs, which are single room occupancy rooms that you can rent. Oh, okay. And as it turned out, that's really what the song is about. It's about hey, we can we can we can go to the YMCA, we can have a swim, we can play some volleyball, we can spend the night. Now, the village people also have a reputation for focusing on disco's gay audience. And sure. the SROs were also they had a reputation for being a popular hookup spot for for gay men. So, read what you want into it, but if you read the lyrics you know, if you'll pardon the pun straight, it doesn't seem to be a song about gay sex, but no, take it for however you want to take it. It was a hugely popular song. I, it, I'm shocked that it only got to number two. We all know it today because they still play it in sports arenas with the whole idea of holding your arms up to do the letters. Do you know where that comes from, Brad? I actually know the answer. I assume that came from the person's village. No. Perhaps the an early video for this song. No. Sort of. 
So in January 1979, the village people were on Dick Clark's American Bandstand, and the audience started doing it. And the band members were looking at each other like, what the hell is happening? Are you making that up? No, no, no. This is what I I read this. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't, you know, that's amazing. I'm not using my podcast time machine to go back and find out. The audience started doing it. I will. The band said, they're looking at each other funny. We're like, do we have to start doing that now? The answer is yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you what to do, but yes. Yes. Thus was born a cultural phenomenon. Huh. I mean, I have a real fascination with songs that have their own dance, like The Hustle. No. Did the music to The Hustle come first, or did The Hustle come and they wrote music for it? I, I, I don't know. I, I'd love, if anybody knows, please write yes. me. Yes, or we could spend the next 30 seconds to find out on Google. Anyway, important to note that as iconic of a song as YMCA is, it was kept out of the number one spot by two separate songs. The first one is this by Chic. Now, Le Freak has its own story, as you might imagine. Mm. <laughs> again, this one I've heard. Again, I read this. This song is about Studio 54 in New York City. The band Chic was invited to go there, according to guitarist Nile Rogers, the great Nile Rogers. But they were refused entrance, even though they had been invited there by Grace Jones. What? She forgot to tell the nightclub staff that she'd invited them. Ugh. So the song is about. Studio 54, and the lyrics were supposed to originally say F*** off, rather than freak out. Sounds about right. Now, take that at face value. I don't know. And bleep that as, as you need I've heard to. that story before. <laughs> yes, and I will so protect anyway. all of the ears of all of our listeners with some carefully yes. placed one kilohertz tone. The second song, you might see this one coming, is this classic from Rod Stewart. Do You Think I'm Sexy (laughs) came from his 1978 album, Blondes Have More Funds. And the critics hated this song. Really? Even though Rod meant it sort of as uh, a satire or a spoof on on the quote-unquote cocaine lounge lizards from the Saturday Night Fever days, it's it's a spoof of a disco song is what it's sort of meant to be. But Hmm. critics just massacred the song because it betrayed Rod's more blues-oriented uh, you know, rock yeah. background. That's so, anyway. total bullshit. Let me just tell you something, music critics of 1979. You're full of crap. You're so self-important. You, tell, you have to sing what I tell you to sing. Rod Stewart, no. you know, I've never been a Rod Stewart fan, but right now I'm in Rod Stewart's camp. He can <laughs> sing whatever the damn song he wants. Critics can no. go, stuff it. You can go stuff it, because back then was a very important time, I think, in, in music's history. And I think you're talking about a time when a lot of bands didn't know what the hell to do. You want another good example of this? Look at the band Kiss. They put out the album Dynasty, which has the song, I Was Made for Loving You. Are we really which, calling again, Kiss musicians? No, I take that back. They were a band. I love Kiss, still. But they come out with a song that's on the disco side, and they got massacred for it, too. It was just a weird time where it's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But we all have to make a dollar, and I'm not going to blame Rod Stewart. So you're, say- so for, you're saying a number one hit doing- is a sellout, and he shouldn't have done it? 
You're I'm wrong, not a critic. Steve. I'm not a critic from 1979. I'm just saying I understand where they're coming from. You're a critic from now. I'm just saying I understand where they're coming from. I, I'm, I'm a member of the press corps. And, well, uh, my, I, I can't my heart take that away from you. There. Yes. Anyway, I still think they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're just being you're just being negative to be negative. We've no, seen I'm this not. version of Brad before, and we know where it's going. Oh, God forbid I express an emotion. I apologize, <laughs> 80s Nation, Alexi for having Lawless. thoughts. I invoke the spirit thoughts. of Alexi Lawless. Please, uh, yeah, Alexi. You, you, you do that. I want to hear what he has to say about that one. <laughs> I, th- I guarantee you he, he's in my camp. He's in Camp Brad. I'll text we'll him right now, out. you little turd. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Instead, give me your song from 1979 that reached number two, but no further. Okay, okay. Let's re let's re remix this business. This song, number two for two weeks, starting in late February of nineteen seventy nine, it's Fire by the Pointer Sisters. Well Romeo and Juliet Steve, this song was written by none other than Bruce Springsteen. Nice. Yeah, he wrote this after seeing an Elvis Presley concert in May of 1977. And he claims he sent a demo tape of it to Elvis because he thought Elvis could perform it. But he died before it actually arrived, apparently. Springsteen recorded a version of this song when he was picking songs for his 1978 album, Darkness on the Edge of Town. But it just didn't make the cut. It didn't really fit with the rest of the music. And his manager was concerned that if it was on there, Columbia Records would say, well, that's the lead single, in spite of the fact it didn't really match the tone. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, the Pointer Sisters version was their lead single from their 1978 album Energy. Again, that came out late in the year, so it charted early the next year. Knight Ritter's music critic, Christine Arnold, said, Lyrically, it's a simple song, but one that captures the indecision of a woman who both wants and does not want a man all at the same time. And when the pointers sing, fire, it's enough to sear your turntable. Wow, that's good writing. That's why I'm claiming it for my own. I don't know who this Christine Arnold person is, but now that's mine. Springsteen was not happy about the success of another artist with his material. At at that point, the highest charting hit he'd had was Born to Run, which hit 23 in 1975. But this was the Pointer Sisters' first big hit and ranks 48th on Billboard's 100 Greatest Girl Group Songs of All Time. You know, it's it's funny because Springsteen, I, I I listened to his autobiography, which is fantastic, by the way, on Audible. Yeah. And it talks about the fact that he didn't kind of start making money until born in the USA. Like up all the way up until then, he was still in the red Just, with his record company. So I can yeah. I can totally get why he'd be a little pissed off that he writes something that's great and it's a huge hit and probably would have put, probably pulled him out of his yeah you know financial but funk. He, he played this live then and still plays it live as I understand. Yeah, yeah, he does. So Steve, this is tied for the highest charting Pointer Sisters song. Do you know what it's tied with? Uh, what, Neutron Dance? It's not what you think it is. Um, I know you're thinking it's Jump. It's not Jump. The correct answer, Steve, is 
Slow Hand, which stalled at number two in 1981. So we'll talk about that in a few Duh. shows. Okay, interesting. I don't want to kick off another round of anger, so I'll just give you this fact, and we can play a little clip. This was also kept out of the number one spot by Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy? Not surprising. That song was all over the place in 1979. But so is my next entry in the Close But No Cigar uh, sweepstakes that is uh, stuck in the 80s this week. My next song is from Earth, Wind, and Fire, which I don't get enough chances to say how much I love them, but here's a good song that explains it. The Love Has Gone was from Earth, Wind, and Fire's 1979 album. It uh, peaked at number two on September 15th. It was not, like so many of these songs, it wasn't created easily. The song was originally offered to Hall & Oates, who turned it down. They didn't want to record any more songs written by anybody but themselves at this point. Interesting. Okay. Good for them. And when the band itself went into the studio to try to record it, it took them, I think, at least seven tries to get the right feel for it. Huh. I mean, this is a great album. The album I Am is fantastic, you know, cover to cover. Yeah. It's interesting it took them so long to kind of get it straightened out. I always, we were talking about this, weren't we? Like, you always hear stories about bands who are like, yeah, we did this and it was one take, but nobody ever talks about, oh my God, we had to lay that bass track down 735 <laughs> times to get it right. Like you just don't hear those stories. Yeah. But this one, this is one of those tough ones. I get it because it doesn't really feel all that much like an Earth, Wind, and Fire song. So anyway, it was kept out yeah. of the top spot by a song that we all know. We probably have the the lyrics are tattooed onto the inside of our skull. This one from the Knack. Talk about hitting it out of the ballpark with your first swing. My Sharona was the debut single from the Knack. Oh, so oh, it's oh, it's <laughs> such a good song. It's just so well put together. Oh, back in the dark ages when I was learning how to play guitar, I made some comment in passing to my guitar teacher about how much I love the song. And he's like, "Oh, we should start working on that next week." The second guitar solo is impossible. Oh, I can, impossible. I'll never be able yeah, to play it's it. Just. I'll never be able yeah, to play it. Yeah. This is one of those songs, I think, up there with... God, there's so many songs from 1979 that just kind of define the year. I mean, YMCA is one. This has got yeah. to be another. I mean, it just... It screams 1979 at you. It's power pop. Yeah. yeah. This was my pick from way back when we were talking about you know songs that started the 80s sound. This was my yeah. pick for that. So, interesting story, as always, with these songs. It was written by the late Doug, I think it's Fieger? Fieger, may I say his name is? I'm going to call him Doug. Sure. He was the lead singer of the band. It was written with him and the guitar, uh, the lead guitarist. The lead singer, when he was 25 years old, met a 17-year-old who basically inspired a long run of 
great songwriting for the band, and as well as becoming his girlfriend for the next four years. And so there's the whole idea of um, when you when you listen to the lyrics and you realize he's singing about someone who he shouldn't really be dating, who's a little bit too young for him. Mm. You know, yeah, it's. And they dated right up until she was old enough to buy her own alcohol. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Who was using who? So anyway, um, they were actually engaged. To, <laughs> <laughs> they were actually engaged at one point, but never married. In a 2005 interview, uh, the singer said that they remained great friends. She went on to a successful career as a realtor in L.A. So maybe you bought your house from her. You don't know. Wouldn't that be an interesting story? This week's episode of Stuck in the 80s is brought to you by Modern CBD. We've been hearing a lot about how CBD helps with pain relief, anxiety, and sleep. And so I wanted to check it out for myself. And I'm so glad that I found ModernCBD.com. It's a one-stop shop for everything CBD. I love their website. It's the leading site to buy CBD online. They sell their own line of high-quality hemp-derived CBD products. Plus, they offer other top-selling CBD brands that use USA-grown hemp. And the site is loaded with data on where things are from and test results and all this stuff. So you really know exactly what you're buying. It's like Zappos for CBD. It's so convenient. I've been working on my old car. You know I have an almost 50-year-old car that I foolishly still drive around. And I had to do a big project on it recently, which involved a weekend on my back on the concrete of my garage, turning wrenches at odd angles. And on Sunday night when I finished up last weekend, I thought I was going to die. My muscles were just screaming at me. And I got to tell you, the CBD soft gels really helped that muscle pain go away and helped me sleep. I'm very grateful for that. You guys know here at Stuck in the 80s, we're always trying to hook you up with special offers. And this one from Modern CBD is too good to pass up. Get 30% off your order plus free shipping. Now that's an amazing deal but only when you use our code 80s. So do this today. Go to moderncbd.com. That's mdrncbd.com and use our code 80s. That's 80s to get 30% off plus free shipping. Don't wait. That's moderncbd.com. Promo code 80s. And we're back. And we're talking about the number two songs from 1979. And I'm up next. I chose this one because I have a story. Not really. It's a small story. You're batting in the number four. You're in cleanup here. Number four song. No, no. Don't put too much pressure on me. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just setting up the story. <laughs> I have two mini stories. It's not even good. It's, it's, it's just, just a wee little whisper of a story. Anyway, I'm going to rip this song by Sister Sledge. We're giving love and We Are Family was recorded by Sister Sledge, but written by uh, Bernard Edwards and the aforementioned Nile Rogers. Those names seem familiar. They should. It's the first song that those two wrote for any other act other than their own band, Chic. Huh. And kind of famously, the, the, the song basically describes the group. They are sisters. The lyrics are about their connection, their chemistry and such. In fact, mm-hmm. the whole kind of message for the song became the uh, rally theme song for the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates when they were playing the Baltimore Orioles in the World Series. They got down to a uh, 3-1 deficit and still came back and won the series 4-3. Uh, to three. And 
They well, I remember played, it. Yeah. Kent Tacolvi, yeah. the sidearm relief pitcher. They played that song all the time during the World Series. And uh, so that oh, yeah. got kind of old after a while. But uh, Both Sister and Sledge <laughs> made a bunch of money on yeah. royalties for that, baby. National broadcast airing. Woo! Cash so, check. Not famously, but I, I did own this album. It's one of the few vinyl albums I owned from the 70s that for some reason I held on to for many years. And I remember in the late 80s, right after I graduated from college, my, my, I got my own apartment for the first time, and my friends helped move me in and get the record collection is out, and they're all you know, going through my records and judging me for every album. And then they get to Sister Sledge. They take the record out of the sleeve and smashed it to bits. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Really? Wow. Yeah, that's a little yeah. harsh. That's yeah, a little harsh. That's, yeah. I thought that was a little unnecessary but i remember it like it was yesterday i know exactly who did it and they've never apologized maybe that's a good thing maybe it's a is that the guy thing. that introduced you for, to the gap from the last episode <laughs> no not david goodfield no it's not him so i i'd long lost touch with poor david by that point anyway uh we are family was kept out of the top spot unbelievably uh by this song by donna summer This is another song that's just like of its era, of its time, Hot Stuff. Hot Stuff would go on to uh, win a Grammy Award for Best Female Rock Vocal Performance in the very first year that that award was given out. So, Really? If you're going to lose out to someone, lose out to the, the <laughs> landmark record like Hot Stuff. So what do you got left, Brad? We got one song left. Dazzle Me. Steve, it's funny you had mentioned Donna Summer. Here comes Dim All the Lights by Donna Summer. This baby hit number two for two weeks in November of 1979. It's getting cold. Time to dim the lights a little bit. It's the third single from her album, Bad Girls, and the first not to make it all the way to the top of the charts, as Hot Stuff and Bad Girls had before it. Interestingly, this is Donna Summer's only hit single that she had the sole songwriting credit for. Huh. So she had planned, she wrote the song, she planned to give it to Rod Stewart, but decided not to after she finished it up. The song and the album was produced by 80s synth god Giorgio Moroder and his partner Pete Belote. This recording is somewhat famous in musical circles. It, it includes a sustained note that Donna Summer holds for about 16 seconds. One of, if not the longest held note by any female vocalist to make both the US and UK top 40. If we can qualify that anymore, we will. It's a long, it's a long, <laughs> it's a long note. We'll just leave it at that. Sure. Okay. So what song kept this uh, this gem out of the top spot? Steve, you're in luck. It was number two for two weeks, and it was kept out by two different songs. The first song to keep it out of the number one slot was Heartache Tonight by the Eagles. There's gonna be a heartache tonight, a heartache tonight, I know. 
first single from the long run, won a Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group with a Vocal. I wonder who won the Grammy Award for Best Rock Performance by a Duo or Group without a Vocal that year. The story of how it was written uh, originated with a jam session with Glenn Fry and J.D. Souther. They wrote the first verse, and then they called Bob Seger, and he gave him the chorus over the phone, and then they just they just tidied it up, and there it is. And it was on top of the U.S. pop charts for one glorious week, Steve. Wow, well, that's all it takes. Yeah, exactly. So you say there was a second song. Indeed there was, Steve. From the other end of the musical spectrum, it's still by the Commodores. You know we let each other down But then most of all I do Oh, love this song. This song should have been number one. I'm so glad it was number one. This is a big hit from their 1979 album, Midnight Magic, and is somewhat famous for being the last Commodore song to hit number one before Lionel Richie left the band. And I know I've talked about this on the podcast, but yes, we played this in marching band. That just wouldn't, it's not going to work as a marching band song. Oh, you could not be more wrong. It's, it's just not going to. You couldn't be more wrong. I don't know. It's just... I would be sitting in the stands just like pulling my hair out being like, why? Why? It's like a, it's a, the slowest yeah, of all it's a, ballads. It's like the, it, well, it's, it's like the number. You, first you play your opener and then you have your percussion feature and then you play this and then you have your big closer. <sighs> okay. Whatever you say. I'll give you Mr. Lampke's number and you can call him and talk to okay. him about it. He's, he's, your band director still around? Uh, I think he's still alive. I don't think he's still teaching. Okay, that's good. It's probably a good thing in our age. You know what else is a good thing in our age? The, the Seggies. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for Mystery Movie Moment. We'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s if you get it right. You're entered into the drawing for a metallic bottle opener that is USPS friendly. Oh, I love those bottle openers. And they open bottles, too. They don't just look good. They're functional. I don't I haven't they don't open whiskey bottles. Well that's hands, what teeth are for. Hands open whiskey bottles. Gar uh, anyway, from episode five twenty, here was the mystery clip. A few months ago, Gary got his first boner. You know what that is? If memory serves. Yep, that's parenthood. By the way, did you know that Joaquin Phoenix appears in Parenthood? You know, the guy who's, you know, obviously making waves right now is the Joker. No, I didn't know that. I was reading a story about, like, some of his more forgotten roles today. And it mentioned the fact that he's Diane Weist's little kid in Parenthood. So, anyway, good figure. Totally missed that. Totally missed it. But it looks like we had a few people who didn't miss it. So, why don't you take a few deep breaths and uh, read some winners. Here we go. This week's winners include Gina Gilroy, David Morgan, Alejandro Sticks Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, Missy Cross, Bass Note, Nate Chops Johnson, 
Jamie Cruz the Roads, Mark Ram, Darren Myers, Dave Parrott, Chip and Marilyn, Jeff from the other Weatherford, Dr. Dim, Greg Martin, Mr. Whiskey, Christian in Duluth, Gary and Gilroy, Hope in Indiana, Rick Parker, Mark Campbell, Dave Cedillo in Old OP, Janet J.F. Keenot in Louisiana, Kevin Wench, Son of Hugo, Stony Stitt, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Eric in North Seattle, Shan Nichols, and Dave Augie August. Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. I'm telling you, this is herpes we're looking at here. It's not going to go away by itself. I don't want to see Zimmerman's name in the paper ever again. I don't want to hear it on TV, and I don't want to hear it on the radio. I want this thing to disappear. Will you get that grease burger out of your face and get on this? I'm going to take this very much amiss if you croak on me before the election. Now get out of here. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com and tune in soon to find out if you're a winner. Ah, the mystical refrain that is named that 80s tune. Again, we'll play a tiny wafer-thin clip from a song from the 80s. Get it right. You're entered into the magical drawing of fun. Hmm. Again, from show 520, here was your hint. That's Bring on the Dancing Horses by Echo and the Bunny Men. Bring on the dancing horses, whatever they may want, shiver and say the words of every life heard. First I'm gonna make it, then I'm gonna break it till it falls apart. Brad, have you ever seen Echo and the Bunny Men perform live? I have not. Have you? Yes. Um, about two years ago, they played in Orlando at the House of Blues, and... You left the house? <sighs> Violent Femmes. Yeah. Violent Femmes. Oh, because of Violent Femmes. Violent Femmes opened. So it was it was a hell of a show. And of course, they played this song. Oh, yeah. Monstrous show. The only thing that sucked was it was standing room only for everybody. And uh, Yeah. They have a lot more hits than people remember. Oh, yeah. They're fantastic. Great show. Anyway, read the winners. Winners this week include Gene and Gilroy, David Morgan, Mike Messersmith, Jeff and Chester, Dave in Oxford, Kevin Liu, Bass Note, Nate Chops Johnson, Dave Estel, Mark Ram, Alan Titus, Stephen Denver, Lido from Porter Ranch, Terry in Perth, Australia, Dr. Dim, Cliff from North of Detroit, Spraggle Rock, Kevin Wench, Son of Hugo, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Lynn with three N's in Nebraska, Eric in North Seattle, Noel from Ireland, and Shan Nichols. Wow. It's funny, when you read through the notes of, of who won, I like to try to remember all the people who I've actually met in person. It's it's kind of cool. I've, I've probably met like seven or eight people off this list. So anyway, nice. uh, spin the wheel. Let's find out who wins the prize. Well, there's a lot of names on the wheel this week. I better really better give it a good push, huh? Grease it up. Wow. It's, it's been working out. It's going to spin for a while. That CBD oil is really doing its trick. It's uh, not just for pain. It's also for suffering. I got the CBD gummies downstairs. We have to try one of those later on tonight. Uh, and it's coming to an end, and it looks like it's going to land on uh, Lynn with three ends in Nebraska. Yeah, one of the people I've actually met. I visited with him in Orlando about a year ago. Nice. Lynn, send us your postal address. We'll get some uh, something out to you. We promise. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery tune. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. 
and tune in in a couple shows to find out if you're a winner. Hey, that's all the time we have this week. The next time we convene for this series, we will actually be in the 80s, Brad. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've we've given ourselves the runway. We've ramped up into it. I think we deserve 1980. The village people deserve 1982, so they even recorded a song in 1979 called, ready? Wait for it. Ready for the 80s. Nobody remembers it except us, because Brad and I remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. questions i don't think you have any there's no nothing there's nothing in the seggies to trip us up are you wearing any pants i'm wearing gym shorts